to Mono Rants, a podcast where we rant about whatever we're interested in. If you're tuning in, you're obviously interested in superhero TV show The Boys 2. I'm one of your hosts and Jack of All Trades Mono, and with me is my co-host and master of none, Kira. <laughs> okay, so this week we are on to Season 1, Episode 5, Good for the Soul. And don't forget we will be talking comics and referencing ahead in the show, so spoilers ahead for both. So, Kira, am I to do the summary again? Yeah, you do such a good job of butter. But blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> that thing, that thing what I said. That thing. That thing. So, in this episode, the boys head to the Believe Expo to follow a promising lead in their ongoing war against the soups. There might, might be a homicidal infant, but you'll have to see for yourself. Yeah, that's pretty... I don't, I don't think I classify the infant as homicidal as, you know... He's an accessory to homicide. Well, he is the it weapon. Is a baby. It has no control over its movements or shit or anything like that. So yeah, I'm, what I'm, you're saying I'm is equating things like homicidal to it when it has no clear like so what reference to what, what it is. What you're saying is super <coughs> super super powered babies don't kill people. People holding super powered babies kill people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So we see where you are on the side of the gun debate. No, like, (laughs) don't do that to me. (laughs) So yeah, just past the halfway mark in the series, and this episode was directed by Doc... This episode was... (laughs) Don't laugh when I'm trying to restart. Sorry, it's because I have Dior down as director, and I'm like, Dr. Stefan Schwartz's. (laughs) So yeah. And they're your notes. I know, but my own shorthand is shit. So, uh, this episode was directed by Stefan Schwartz. He's done a lot of ones and twos of episodes of shows. It seems like the bigger shows that he did were Dexter, Black Sails, Fear the Walking Dead. He's done two episodes of The Boys. He's got about 30, 40 different credits. Right. But it's mostly one and two episodes of things. Similarly, the writer and Cafel Saunders. A couple episodes of Star Trek Discovery, a couple episodes of Smallville, a couple episodes of Battlestar Galactica. So she's in the sci-fi superhero wheelhouse it seems and she also does two episodes of the boys this episode good for the soul based on issues 15 to 18 well sorry the name is taken from issues 15 to 18 of the comics so first thoughts about this episode Kira. I've completely forgotten how this episode started and we literally just watched it and this keeps happening to me I have got really bad short term memory loss apparently <laughs> yeah, and I'm the one who smoked before we started so it opens with uh, in Cuba with pop oh clock. yes 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 poor yes, yes. poor pop clock everything oh, that happens like what is essentially like the cold opening not the cold opening but everything that happens prior to like the title card my brain is like doesn't matter don't care <laughs> like ignore that yeah poor pop clock I really feel bad for pop clock like pop clock really gets used by everybody she does and then the whole fact that he feeds her like a whole story about how Everything's sorted out. That's heartbreaking. It is so harsh. It is so unnecessary. You didn't need to get her hopes up like that. Just to jam, what, like eight syringes into her at speed and then kill her with a heroin overdose. Yeah, but that was particularly devious when he uses the one thing he... All she she, wants is to have a public relationship with him. And he uses that. Knowing full well what he's going to do, he uses that to get the information that he needs out of her. Yeah, so she spills the beans about the four guys. And yeah. is that what... Yeah, he goes back then to Seven Headquarters. To report that he's killed her. Yeah. yeah. 
to Homelander. Which, yeah, is interesting because up to this point, we weren't really sure who was running the V. We don't really know what the V is being used for yet. And we weren't sure who was running the V beyond A-Train. We, you know, we assumed it was probably Voss, but he's reporting back directly to Homelander. Not to Stillwell, not to anybody else. No, straight to Homelander. And then after that, he does, he returns to the apartment. He's like watching. They have a nanny cam. <laughs> they have a nanny cam bear tucked up in the corner. And I don't know how consensual that sex recording was. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, I don't think it was consensual at all that he's just a little bit of a pervy weirdo. Because when he's watching it and it's them getting it on and then it cuts to her going, yeah, you're a filthy pig who likes to eat ass. You wouldn't do that if you knew there was a net. Like, if you knew there was something recording you in the house. Oh, sorry. You think A Train put the nanny cam there to spy on her because he's record their their, their sex antics without her knowing. And Popcat didn't know it was there. That would make sense. Why would she sit on your man's face and cheat on him if on A Train? Yeah. If she knew it was there. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I I just kind of. Not big on the owl consent thing. Like, none of them seem to be. So. No, that's true. I, I hadn't thought of it that way at all. Because, is, yeah, he he, that's, he he goes straight for it to play it, knowing, oh, this, this, or it seems to be as soon as he, he plugs it in, it's playing him and Popular having sex. Yeah. So, like, did he, is that all it was used for? <laughs> like, yeah. And then um, you get to see her popping the landlord's head. And then the fo- the boys coming in and the only clear shot they can get is of Frenchie. Yeah. And then they proceed to ruin Frenchie's life because he's got what, like, they run it through crime analytics. The, the 34 IDs the, that he's got. The flickering montage on screen of him and it really looks like, do you remember, like, back in the day when you used to be able to, like, upload a photo onto stuff? You could do it really, really, really early on with the Game Boy Color cameras. That yes. you could like change, yeah, yeah, yes. showing my age right there. Uh, where you could like change your hair, put like the, the hairstyles on things. Yeah. That's what it looks like when it's filtering through oh, yeah, all those so different mugshots on So them. cheesy. There's a brilliant one where he's got like full on emo hair and it's fantastic. <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny. But it is, it's like, oh, we, you know, they are cheesy as fuck, but he's got like a load of addresses. They raid all his addresses. He gets the phone call then from Cherie saying that they found her. He's been burned, essentially. Yeah. And that if they found her, they found everything. So that is, you know, Vaud is on to them now. Well, at least one of them. Yeah. They know that there's four of them. They have a vague description of them. They know what one of them looks like from the nanny cam footage. What actually, what I thought was interesting was when A-Train shows up to Homelander to say the deed is done. I've killed Papa. Hmm. And says, you know, it was a heroin overdose. And Homelander says, and what about the V? And A-Train says, oh, you know, I found out she told these four guys about it. And Homelander says, no, no, no. I mean about you. And he talks about him using Oh, him it, being on Which it. is, in and of itself, is interesting. But what I thought was really interesting is, why doesn't Homelander want to know about the four guys? Why they're, he, they're insignificant. Well, yeah, but I, I, I suppose I, I am thinking in terms of somebody who's watched the rest of the series. Because at, from this point on, he, Homelander does become very concerned with who's fucking with him. Yeah. And he knows Translucent's already been killed, but why is it that... They haven't connected it. They don't know if that's maybe another superhero that's mm. okay, Translucent. True, but I just thought it was strange that he didn't want to know 
Well, at the moment, he's a little bit preoccupied with his whole hatred of that baby and uh, of Teddy and his talking points and not being taken seriously. And that's kind of where his perspective is. And he's riding on the fact that he saved the, I can't remember the flight number. Flight 37. Yeah, that's where it is. He's saved their storyline of that and he's helped push their agenda. And that's where his focus is. It's not on these four guys who may have just been there to rail his girlfriend. Yeah, true. You know, it's like, yeah, she may have told him about the V, but who are they and what can they do about it? Yeah. You know, they're, they're looking for one of them. That's, as far as he's concerned, he's like, yeah, whatever. If we find him, we find him. Yeah, I suppose I probably am looking at it a bit with, you know, hindsight glasses. Mm. But um, I love how Anthony Starr plays that scene. Anthony Starr is just amazing the- as Homelander. Like, he really is. The friendly menace towards A Train when A Train thinks he's done, he's like, "No, come here, come here for a hug." You know, we're family, and I'll always be watching over you. Yeah, I, I like a huge, yeah, okay, huge chunk of it is Anthony Starr, but a massive. I think there's not enough credit to give him to how everyone else around him reacts to him. Everybody else, when they're interacting with them, is always a little bit reserved. It's like the, you know, the neighborhood dog that barks at everybody, and you know it's a little bit psycho. Yeah. It's that. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, yeah, you, you, you go to pet it, but it might savage you. <clears throat> and that's how everybody, that's how everybody responds to him as well. Even the other superheroes are afraid of him. Uh, yeah. Anybody who's been around him for a long enough period yeah. of time has their own they're delicate very, way of dealing with him. They're all very wary of him as well. So I think props have to be given to the rest of the cast for yeah. conveying that unease. Yeah, definitely. As good as good as Anthony Starr's performance is. It wouldn't, without that without, reaction. Yeah, without the, the, the other cast members selling it mm. in the way they do, that they are, you know, that their reactions to his performance and, and the character, yeah, it wouldn't be as good. Like, yeah. yeah, it's a phenomenal cast. It really oh, yeah. is. But that that unease, that unsettling, and you do get it every time he's on screen, is he himself projects this, like, slightly off-putting aura, for lack of a better word. But it is also then picked up and, and carried through by everybody else. Yeah, and it is... it. You never know which way he's going to go. Mm-hmm. Like, when he's with, later on in the episode when he's talking with Huey. And oh, Huey's you don't just know if he's going to snap petrified. his neck. Yeah. yeah. And as well as Huey plays it being like... You know, I'm, I'm just afraid of water. When when Homelander plunges him in and you see from Huey's POV and you see the smile, the creepy smile through the water, he just, yeah, you're not sure. Like, is he is he going to drown him? Does he know? Or is he just doing this because he, he can and he enjoys the power over he a normal mortal? He doesn't like the fact that he is, is it like he doesn't like the fact that he's fucking over Starlight? Well, it appears to him that he's fucking over Starlight and using her to get into this $15,000 event. Is it that? Is he like being like a scary big brother? Is he just yeah. fucking with them because he, he saying, feels he can? Yeah, what does he, he think that what superheroes... What are you doing? What are you doing? Why is there a cat trying to climb behind me on this sofa? Listen, here, boy. Why are you We leave the doors open as a privilege so that you don't fuck around with recordings. Don't mess that up. Or is it a case that he thinks that normal humans shouldn't date superheroes and he doesn't like that that Huey's kind of sniffing around Starlight I don't think anything to to do with like normal dating or normal sexual appetite can be attributed to 
especially Homelander because everything is so skewed given the way, given his upbringing. Everything's really skewed for him. He is really messed up. And the way that they all seem to have gone towards these like extremes. Yeah. Well, in as much as all of the superheroes we've been introduced to so far, with the exception of our extreme, our extreme perverts, with and Maeve, not Maeve, well, we haven't seen her doing anything mm. to excess. Although we do find out that she's a recovering alcoholic in this situation. Yeah, in this episode, and she's also a, a lesbian. No, a lack of she shows a complete lack of empathy yeah. for Starlight in the first episode. And other than that, yeah, we haven't really seen Maeve do anything particularly horrible. She just seems to be the one who doesn't care. Yeah. You know, she's a she, loof she and she doesn't care. She keeps her head down and just gets on with it. Yeah. But yeah, as you said, we find out she's a recovering alcoholic. Well, a lapsed. Alcoholic? Recovered. She's an alcoholic. Yeah, she's a lapsed alcoholic when she goes to visit Elena. Yeah. And that was a nice bit. That's the first real bit of personalization we've gotten to Maeve. Yeah, Maeve's just her. that cold, stone-faced, resting bitch face that's in the corner. Yeah, and we saw her, her jadedness a bit in previous scenes with, like, the shooter. And a, a bit in this episode as well, when Homelander is doing his speech about Flight 37 and she walks off. Oh, yeah, I don't like boring speeches. Yeah. It's starting, the seen... veneer is starting to crack now, though, and you're starting to see the real her coming out with, and it started with... It's been starting for coming through for a little bit. Yeah, but what I mean is it's it's only the jadedness that we've seen. This is the first kind of emotional scene. We found out, okay, whatever, she used to date Homelander in the past, but that doesn't seem to be something she particularly cares to reminisce about. But this is clearly somebody she cares for, somebody who she tried to make a go of in a relationship before, and, you know, is, I'm guessing, the only person she trusts enough that if she's in that much of a kind of emotional state, that's who she goes to. Yeah. Or she has nobody else to go to. She doesn't have anybody else, realistically. Who can she trust? It has to be somebody outside of Vaughn. And you see that that's what causes the break in Maeve when she completely breaks down in Elena's apartment. It's when Elena says, go back to Homelander. And Maeve says, kind of, go back. And that's when she collapses and breaks down. And like, yeah. And yeah, you're right. She, that's all she has is Vaughn and everything around Vaughn. No, you do get a lot more of her backstory in season two and you can kind of understand why she is so guarded and the mm. way she is. But it's nice to see that there's a side of her that's human because yeah. for so long, I think as well, she's been the only female. She's been in the seven for, for years. Mm. So she has to have, she has this facade that she wears yeah. and she can't be anything outside of that. That's her whole personality. She's basically been used by everybody as well. Yeah. And what I like as well is we get to see a little bit of what it's like to be a normal person in a relationship with a superhero or the aftermath of it, at least when Elena's talking about how, you know, you got over me, Maeve, because when you walked into my life, you never had to see me again. I've had to see you every day on yeah. posters and, you know, in interviews on the TV and everywhere. It must be similar to dating a celebrity, like a high profile celebrity, you would have that same... Yeah. The same trials and tribulations of suddenly, well, I, from what I gather, their relationship was very, was kept very, very secret. Mm. So she didn't even have, she didn't, wouldn't have necessarily had the media after her. But there's still the heartache of having to see that person yeah. over and over and over again, especially if the, for the duration of your relationship, it was hidden. Yeah. It'd be like that scene from episode one where Huey sees all the A-Train stuff. Yeah. But all day, every day. 
Yeah, it's it's not a fun reality, and the fact that no. she's pulled herself out of it and she's trying to move on with her life is, and then I can understand her reaction then to Maeve coming in, and she's like, "No, I've moved on. Everything's better. I'm in a good place. I don't want to see you." And it seems, and to I be, understand that. It seems to have been quite a while as well because there's the line about the the cat. Whereas the cat died two years yeah, ago. Yeah, he died two years ago. So it's been at least that long since yeah. Maeve's had any contact with her. Also, the fact I number one, I would be. So so mad if they rocked up she rocks up in the outfit bitch put a pair of jeans on <laughs> yeah. she's like oh I was just in the area I'm like yeah Stopping well now you've mugging. just now you've just come like just come in through the window yeah all my neighbours are going to be was was Queen Maeve at your house last yeah. night yeah <laughs> uh, no like, just and, a cosplayer unless she's in a walk up like she's had to stand out there obviously she's in a walk up because she was able to get in and get to the front door do you think do you think they'd do that do you think they'd go to like cosplaying events just as it. is. <laughs> As is. Well, Dolly Parton once entered a, a Dahlia-like and lost to a drag queen. Yeah, and, like, Hugh Jackman wandered around conventions as Wolverine and people yeah. just thought he was a really good cosplayer. Oh, <laughs> like, they told him he was uh, too short. <laughs> too short, yeah. Whereas the main criticism of Hugh Jackman for Wolverine was that he was too tall to Yeah, because Wolverine. Wolverine's only supposed to be, like, five foot two or something like that yeah. in the comic books. But um, it happens all the time. People, celebrities don't look like what we think like when you see it's also that disassociation of if you see somebody you're not expecting to see somewhere you don't expect to see them you don't wig it's them yeah. there's obviously there you know you've got to think there's an awful lot of that going on plus it's New York and mm. New Yorkers are Irish people will ignore celebrities unless they're down the beach with a bag of cans like Matt Damon if there's any other kind of New Yorkers we'll just go there's celebrity whatever um, yeah, and they, I suppose they will. They are a very kind of bla- not blase, but it's New York. You can see anybody walking down the street. Yeah, and if we're to believe superheroes have been around for a while, it wouldn't be the biggest deal in the world for and you to see a superhero. Seven, yeah, the Vought Tower is there. And as we see later on, in fact, when Homelander goes to see Stillwell outside the pediatricians, a couple of people, but it's only a couple of people in the background, kind of stop and go. Oh, is that fucking Homelander? Like, yeah. what's, oh, he's just having a chat with somebody. But it's not uh, It's not suddenly hundreds of people crowding around. No. It's just five or six people going, oh, fucking hell, Homelander's over there. Like, yeah. You know? Do you want to go say up to him? No, no, you're all right. <laughs> he seems to be having a pretty serious conversation. Let's leave it. Yeah. That, that scene as well is the first time we see a bit of a crack in Stillwell, I thought. Yeah, she's struggling. She's struggling there. She's on her own. She's outside. She's with the... She's got she's her baby. Teddy. She just wants to go and do something. He's pissed. He's yeah. very pissed off. Yeah. And you can see it that she's just like, let me do this and I will deal with you later. You know, you're not my 24-7. And I think the job about the baby being an accessory, accessory yeah. it's a lot deeper than she lets on. Yeah, and that's when she sternly says, you know, we need to set some boundaries. But when she turns around after saying that to walk away, it looks like there's just terror in her face. Mm. And and once again, he he stares at that baby. <laughs> the little laugh from Teddy doesn't help the situation, no. I don't think. He hates that. Like, he really, really hates that baby. But that, that jab about the baby being an accessory, like, that is harsh. But there mm. is, there's, a great, there's enough truth in it as well. That it cuts really, really deep. It does. And semi-related, because I may forget to say it. And if you haven't watched ahead in the series, maybe jump ahead a minute or two, because I'm going to give a spoiler for the end of the season. 
you know what Homelander does at the end of the season? Yeah. And we were like, there's no way Teddy could have survived that. And Teddy survives Apparently it. somehow Teddy survives it. I don't think, I yeah. And no, considering I, how much he hates that baby, why would Homelander have bothered saving it? Especially if he could have just... It's a still well. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. Especially if he could have just blamed it on Butcher. Yeah. Spoiler I over. Think, I don't think he had it in him. True. I suppose we can talk about it when it gets mentioned yeah. in season two. Spoilers over. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he does. He he hates Teddy. It's as I said, it's the first. And it's addressed then by Stillwell later on in the episode when he's staring at her through the the wall again. She and she goes, "Oh, I can see you." And she's talking to him. She invites him in, and she's like, "Oh, have I not been paying enough attention to you?" That is a masterclass in high level manipulation, right there. What Stillwell does. The way she handles him is just... You can see, right, this is why she's been put in that position. You've got to wonder how many executives in Vought she's done that to. <laughs> but because she knows... that's not the first time she's done that. And I understand if that's how she's dealing with Homelander as well. Mm. Number one, it's hard to watch it without, you know... Don't watch it while you're reading, for the love of God. It'll put you off everything. <laughs> don't don't be doing something you love watching this episode. That in particular that scene because just yeah, yep. Yeah. <sighs> but <laughs> just the way she goes about it, she it's like she knows that she can't just have an argument with him like she did outside the pediatricians. Because that doesn't work. No, she's got to so soothe him and she's yeah. got to coerce him and she's, she's got to pander to him. She starts off by making out like it's her fault. By saying, I I obviously haven't been paying enough attention to you and I'm working with you. And that's why you're acting out. But you can't act out. Oh, it's you know, such it's a toxic, so- toxic relationship. She's almost like the beaten wife that, oh, it wasn't your fault. It was mine because I didn't do X, Y and Z. I think she knows what she's doing, though. She does, but it is still so. Oh, still toxic. done out of fear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it is she, but just still the way she does it all is just. And obviously, yeah. Then how how it ends. <laughs> I'm ha- yeah. I'm having some difficulties with this. It really. You can't even make the homelander wants the biddy joke right I now, can't, can you? No. It, Go on, say it. The homeland. Oh no. <laughs> You I can't, can't actually say it. I can't. No, it really. You're just you're just picturing him lying on her lap, sucking her on her fingers. Yeah, and it really. Yeah, really, and you can't say Homelander really wants the baby. It really makes me uncomfortable. It makes me proper, properly oh, uncomfortable. Listeners, I wish this was a, a video, a no, video medium right there. I'm, I'm trying really hard <laughs> to just oh. not. Ugh. Yeah, and I'm, that's that's a testament to how good that scene plays. That out. whole scene is so. The last time I was this uncomfortable was watching the Human Head Centipede too, and that is fucking saying something. Yeah, because we didn't. We watched that with a group of people, and none of us spoke to each other for about three, four weeks after that. We actually could not even be in the same room with each other after that because we were like, "Make living together difficult." Yeah, because it was like, <laughs> ugh, ugh. "It is. It's a. It's a. It is a fantastically uncomfortable scene to watch, mm. yeah. which makes what she's doing even." It, it brings across just how fucked up their relationship is. This oh, it weird, is. Like, so fucking, edible. <laughs> yeah, this weird complex that he's got. It kind of explains how much he hates his baby because he, the baby's taking her time. Yeah. He, and then there's there's a couple of very uncomfortable scenes involving them later on in the series that are just as weird and uncomfortable yeah. and make you want to go and sit oh, in the Oh, from shower. here on, like, you got, you got the tease of it in... 
episode two with or episode three with, the, with your, your leaking. leaking, and this from this point on, their relationship just balls it's off the to, wall. It's balls to the wall. Just <laughs> madness. <sighs> it's brilliant. It, 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 it is it is televisual excellence is what it is but they don't they don't hold back on how creepy it is which is nice like oh. they don't try and sugarcoat the fact that this is just she's doing she's using her body and her charms she is literally prostituting herself just to get him to toe the party line yeah well I think she's particularly worried that after after seeing, you know, what went down at Believe, which we will eventually get to, listeners. After seeing what goes down there, she realizes actually he's gotten further out of line than I realize he has. He thinks that mm. he thinks that he can do no wrong since Flight Thirty Seven, which he is considering now as a positive thing he did. Yeah, and she realizes she really needs to try and rein him back in before he gets too far out of line and jeopardizes everything. Yeah, no, it's it's gross. It's it's gross and weird, and I I don't like it. I do like it, but it just yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. It's one of those things. It's like watching pimple popping videos. It's really gross and disgusting, but you can't look away. <laughs> so what you're saying is we're done talking about this scene, and now. we're done talking about this and, scene, and, yeah. and we shouldn't really revisit it. No, <laughs> no, no. Any like yeah, Homelander got the video, and it was gross. Well, will we delve into the meat of the episode then? The, the Believe, Believe Expo. Expo. Which I think I mistakenly called Capes for Christ last yeah, week. Yeah, that is one of the the religious groups. It's one of, it's the, one of the, the other Expos. Yeah. Annie mentions it, I think. She does. When she's talking to you. I think it's more, it's a collection of superheroes who are super religious. Mm. So you've got Drummer Boy, Holy Mary. I think it is Holy Mary and like the standard... Yeah. And then, obviously, as we mentioned last week, Oh Father, who is now Ezekiel, and probably for the better. Again, we'll move on quickly. <laughs> but there is, there's, it's the same thing. They have these Whoever that super angel lady is yeah. singing the song. Who you know, like, she could probably kick ass and take names, but they when you have wings and you can sing, this is what you're you doing. You have white, fluffy of, wings. This is what you're doing for the rest of your life. Yeah, you're in there. She says, underused as angel is an X-Man. Yeah, so Believe is just... Oh, it's, what? A, it's a religious expo and it is like they do happen in the US because the US is the land where you're defined by some major thing like I'm Scott Malkinson and I'm a diabetic <laughs> you know you're defined like it becomes this defining feature that you're Jewish or you're X or you're Y and you don't yeah or what side of the political spectrum you're on and you or... don't seem to associate for especially for what seems to be middle America as far as I understand it is like if you're in one of these or not even just middle America all over the place if you're in one of these like super religious households and you attend a religious school and a church and you don't associate with anybody outside of that and it is I there's a fantastic documentary called Jesus Camp mm. about these camps for, for younger kids within the evangelical community mm. and everything that's going on at the Believe Expo especially in the round table yeah is actually a lighter version of what actually happens in these. And it does, it as ridiculous as it comes across, especially some of the questions where they're talking about the friend in school who's yeah. Hindu. This is legitimately what these children are being told. Oh, it's, just, it's as much indoctrination, in my opinion, as anybody else who's like, you know, grown up in a neo-Nazi 
thing or growing up in a cult or growing up oh, in a terrorist is, uh, organization. It like it's 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 indoctrinated. You, if you're not exposed to any altering worldviews, no, and that's that's Annie's whole thing in this episode. Yeah, is Annie starting to see because she's been outside it a little bit and kind of had her her worldview shattered in one or two ways about how the seven operates she's starting to see things differently like mm. when she's seeing the little posters and stuff like that but if you if you can't yeah. get outside it how are you supposed to know any different no and that's you know? the thing is you can see it in her this is this is her wake-up call and this is her realizing especially when she sees the the marriage is a man and a woman and this there was a the hypocrisy of what they're saying when she's doing the round table and she's basically like, oh, I had to lie to these kids and she wants to be truthful with them and, to, and let them make their own decisions and the priest is going, dun, 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 dun. also him and his jeans and his smart shoes and he looks like he's going to a gal night out. <laughs> the priest, the yeah. pastor or whatever he is. The, the formal shoes with the jeans. Yeah. All he... he's missing is a check button down and he's off to the gal for the night. <laughs> for all of the like, I don't know, what... Uh, a minute to two minutes he's on screen he's he's really good especially that look he gives to Starlight like, when she's it. talking about her virginity <laughs> and just the almost imperceptible head nod and the intense look in his eyes of come on no <laughs> don't do but it but anything that she says he's there kind of going yes but don't you want to like he's spinning it back to yeah. their agenda yeah even if he if she says something that's not like with the the question about the Hindu Starlight yeah. says kind of well you know love thy neighbour because she she knows <laughs> she doesn't really want to get into this she does, doesn't she clearly doesn't think that you should be converting people no and she says well you know the bible says love thy neighbour and then of course he quips in with well the bible also says this 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 and this yeah that means you know you don't want to damn this person to hell I love the cherry picking though I have a degree in theology just for some context here I spent three years of my life doing yeah, nothing this, but studying this lady knows Christianity. <laughs> studying Roman Catholicism. And there's so much of this that I've seen throughout my interactions with various people of various faiths is the ones that are really pig headed, the the real fanatical people, it doesn't matter what you say, they're gonna continue to think the way they think. Um, and use and put cherry pick bits of the Bible to yeah. justify their message. And a lot of people, I believe, or probably a lot of religious people, thought that this episode was very much a reta- an attack on religion and Christianity in general. I don't think it is. I think it's it, summed up by Annie at the end. It's an attack on people who, a lot of people who are in religious institutions, but who act like they know all the answers and want to charge you for them. That's what this is an ta- indictment of. Yeah, it's a t- um, mega churches. These yeah. insane pastors. I can't remember your man's name with a terrifying face. But not just I the one mean, who spits on COVID. Yeah, him. Like it's it's an attack on all of these super like these mega churches and this thing and this. If you need this and you need to like, it's up there with like Martin Luther and the whole buying indulgences. Yeah, but I think it's as much like you could apply that to you know these like these life coaches. Yeah, who think they know all the answers for how to succeed in life and want again want to judge you for yeah. it. Like Annie says, anybody who says, I know the answers, probably doesn't. And especially if they're trying to charge you for it. Yeah. They just want they you want to see... They want your money. Yeah, they want your money and they want you to see things their way so they can get other people's money through you. But, but it is. It's total manipulation and use. 
and a lot of it and the thing I the, the issue I have with a lot of I like I I myself am not religious I will hold my hand up and be like I am not a religious person no. I don't really have a faith of that I respect other people's faiths and beliefs yeah. I don't think it has a place in our school system for nope. one thing which is totally other kind of worms no religion yeah. shouldn't I think religion you know if it does it should be taught as like a worldview type affair yeah, but it shouldn't gonna... be the be all and end all and it number one it shouldn't be the dominant trait of your personality like you kind of get the feeling that all these kids these kids introduce themselves as you know I my name is blah 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 and I'm a Christian mm. you know and I but, go to church and I don't associate with anybody outside of that my whole community does this that and the other it's, yeah it's the single biggest defining aspect of who they are and it's how they define themselves and yeah. how they define well how they it's the lens through which they act as well mm. a lot of the time and everything that they do has to be you know, viewed in the eyes of, of is this what a good, godly, fearing person would do? Not, is this right? Should I be doing this? But, you know, is this, you know, the churchy thing to do? And I've said this before, and I'll say this again. I've never said this on here, but I have met people in my life who would be hardcore atheists, nihilists, you name it, have no faith, no religion, are the nicest people in the world, would give you the shirt off the back, the last dollar they have, would go to hell and back for you. And then I have met people who claim to be extremely religious who wouldn't even spit on you if you're well, on fire. And I'm not tearing everybody with the same brush here, but I do find that, especially for some people who seem to be so fanatically religious, yeah. they hide behind their religion as an excuse not to be a good person. Yeah. I think this episode hits it perfectly as people who hide behind their religion. Yeah. And think that because they go to church and they do all of this and all of that, that they're good people when they're fundamentally not. Yeah. And this this really hits that on the head. Oh, it does. It does. And it's probably good that we brought it back to the show because we could rant on that oh, for yeah. a little bit. I was worried we'd <laughs> go a little bit armchair psychology on this episode. We couldn't help ourselves, folks. No. Uh, we'll see it how is, much of it stays it's in It's an the episode that really does. Like, the Believe Expo in general, it really does get to me because it does showcase everything that is wrong with fundamental religion, fanaticism fundamentalism as a concept in general yeah. not just for a religion for anything for a fundamentalist political views and also the fact that when Homelander comes on stage and he's like let's hear it for Jesus like he was just thanking the band that had been on previously I know no I think Ezekiel's bit of hey bro bring it in bring it in this is what Jesus sorry no G- Jesus said hey bros bring it in you shouldn't you shouldn't need proof just the way he delivers that speech and you should believe because we tell you to believe because that's called faith and everybody goes fucking ballistic at being told believe because we tell you to yeah if you ever wanted an idea of what I was like in university not being religious and studying theology Billy talking to that pastor Telling them God's a cunt and that we should love a nuke at him. Yeah, that was basically me in every single tutorial. Just playing devil's advocate Perhaps with people. Slightly Not less so profane. harsh. <laughs> yeah. Not quite. No, 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 no. I did get into a fight with a Mormon and it did get a bit brutal. But that was basically my whole stance was hang on. I, that would be, <laughs> I was that person and was like, please explain this to me. So that, that was a nice little nod back to. Not well. It's a nice nod to people who are like me, who are well. If trolls, yeah, 
<laughs> I was trying to think of a way of saying that that wasn't just being like, yeah, I'm, I'm a horrible troll monster. <laughs> yeah. Pay the fine or give me a damn goat. One or the well, other. Like, if you're going to be so sure about your beliefs and be there to be able to tell other people about them, you, you're going to have to be able to defend them as well. Yeah. Maybe not from somebody quite as profane as Billy, but you're going to have to be able to defend them. And I think as well, the way the modern society is going, it is either one or the other. Like, you do have people who are raised religious who find their own tribe after that and move away from it. Or you do find people who go the other way. But at the end of the day, I think it's something that is very, very personal. And I don't think it should be commercialized and made in, not at least not to the same extent that evangelical Christianity has become this big commercial powerhouse machine mm. in the US which is everything that this episode satirizes yeah and is that is it the first we see of Billy in this episode when he's he's talking about God being a cunt yeah I'm yeah. pretty sure it is he proceeds he just he antagonizes everybody in this episode <laughs> he really does because he he has a go at MM being like oh yeah you know yeah. You're, the, there's the inner bible you know, and he's like, fuck off, I'm Episcopalian. Yeah. He's got him there. Then he has a go at Huey and say, when Huey says he might believe in God and he straight away goes, oh, so do you think what happened to Robin was some part of some divine fucking plan? Yeah. And then we discover, uh, well, it seems maybe linked that the reason he's being so shitty is because he's just found out that his wife's family have put up a gravestone. Well, they've had a ceremony to bury her. Yeah. Um, and I can understand why they were saying, like, it's three years. He goes to visit her sister and she's like, it's three years and they need closure as a family. And it does, it happens an awful lot with people who are missing for a long period of time. It's mm. not so much about the legal point of view of, you know, having the legalities of declaring somebody dead. It's also about closure for the family to yeah. be able to move on. It's not that they've given up or they've forgotten. Whereas that's how Billy sees it. Billy sees yeah. it as they've just given up they've entirely. Given up. But, you know, and the sister makes the point that it's for their parent. It's you Yeah, know, they don't have long left. They, they don't have long left and it's to put that to rest and it's not, you know, they don't flat out. They're like, we don't know what happened to her, but she never would have done this. Like they always, they've always assumed that the worst has happened to her. Yeah. Um, and it's about closure for them. But so it's nice to see also Brit, Brit Morgan. Brit something, I can't remember. She's brilliant. And good sister. casting. Very when good we have. haven't, I know we have seen Becca at this point in yeah. the flashback. Good casting to have them as sisters. Yeah, no, she is. And she's very, very good. I've seen her previously in True Blood. I loved mm. her in True Blood. It's nice to see her in this. The accent threw me at first because I was like, because obviously True Blood is the real Southern accents. It That threw me, but she is. She's very, very strong and you get the grief and the fact that she's just really mad at him. Yeah. Like, obviously you'd be pissed off. It's like, oh, it's been three years. You've been off doing God knows what. Yeah. The family needs to grieve and move on, and it, this is how they're doing that. And then he he follows up this rather lovely sentiment by going to the graveyard and destroying the headstone. Yeah. Bitch, those are expensive. Yeah. It shows how like petty he is because even though it it makes no difference to his um his crusade his crusade it makes no difference to as he, as far as he knows his ability to get Becca back or not. All it, all he knows that that headstone does is give comfort to some people, but no, not good enough for him. No, he's so selfish. He's, he's an out and out dick to everybody in this episode. He makes Huey go in and uh, blackmail Ezekiel when Huey really doesn't feel comfortable or ready for it. 
he tells M.M. to fuck off basically twice when he disappears well, and M.M.'s like, where are you going? He's like, I'm not telling you. And then when he comes back and M.M.'s like, where were you? He's like, none of your fucking business. Yeah, no, and like getting there, Huey, they're listening in, they've cloned Annie's phone and they're listening into all of her conversations with Huey and they can hear the fact that obviously there's something more going on between them. It is mm. a genuine friendship that they seem to be developing. I do love the fact that Annie's mother rocks onto the scene. Yeah. Oh, and, she's and a force to be reckoned with. so dismissive of Huey. And she's like, oh, are you a fan? You know, give the man an autograph. And he's like, no, we know each other. And he's like, oh, do you work at Vaud? Otherwise, what are you doing around my daughter? Like, how dare you? Yeah. And also, that same implication is there. It's like, Annie, you're supposed to either be in work or this. If you're not something to do with work, you're not something to do with the convention. Who are you? Yeah. It is, it's that real, like, um, you know, you're not good enough for my daughter and I'm going to completely dismiss you. Mm. Yeah, Annie's mum in this episode is just, as I said, is a force to be reckoned with. She is, is a oh, one woman hurricane and, going around she turns wrecking it shit. So much on her as well later on in the episode when after the rain table. Mm. I also, prior to that, when Ashley rocks up and she's like, oh, hi, how was your flight? Yeah, you have a rain table. Like, she doesn't even wait for the answer. She does, yeah, she doesn't care about the mum, but then immediately walks off chatting with the mum to allow Huey and Annie to have another little conversation. Yeah, but it's like you have the rain table in 15 minutes, come on. Yeah. Um, Ashley, I love love her. Also, the fact that she has to put up with Homelander arriving, being like, get me still well. And she's like, oh, nobody told you. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting she's this one. not and you can see it you can hear the little quiver in her voice and she's like no she's not here but I can deal with you and he's like obviously he's like noped he just noped straight out of there and went to confront Stillwell in the car park of a hospital because that's what you do as a sane human being (laughs) yeah but her she's running around like a fucking headless chicken doing her thing being Ashley and then when Starlight starts giving her speech at the end Ashley's in the corner like a proud mom beside the proud mom beside the proud mom as it's all going well and as it gets progressively worse Ashley's face goes through all the emotions again but she it is brilliant but her mom in this episode this is the episode where you really really start to see how little regard her mother has for Annie's happiness yeah she really doesn't care you know, and it is, it is, it smacks of that, all that, you know, that hard work we did. And well, it's like, what hard work did you do? You, she has super dance mom energy. Oh, yeah. She's not, you never watched dance moms. No, I used to watch no. it for the car crash that <laughs> it was to watch these mothers literally drag their children who are screaming, crying because they haven't slept in like five years because yeah. they have to be the best at everything. Um, she gives off big like dance mom energy of you will be perfect even though the kid's crying and going I don't want to do this anymore yeah I think you get all you need to know from her response when when Annie opens up to her and says you know how hard the last few months have been and that she can't go on stage and she tries to be real certain of like no no tell them I'm not going on stage and her response is I've waited 23 years for this yeah it's about my friends who are watching at home Mm. and it's about you know how important this is for me yeah she might say we but it's very clear what she she, means is me and it it is it's incredibly manipulative on on her mother's part because she's like what about all the sacrifices i made you know taking you to all these pageants and doing all of this stuff annie had been reminiscing earlier in the episode about how she knew everybody at this and they used to do all the christian circuit and that these people were family Mm. and to have her mother turn around and be like well this was all a sacrifice and i took you to all these things because i wanted to 
it tarnishes those memories as well for her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know, and you can see it crushing her. This episode at large seems to be everybody has crisis of faith in this episode yeah. to a greater or larger degree. As I um, Huey. To a greater or larger. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I can't talk either today, apparently. <laughs> to a larger or smaller degree, everybody has crisis of faith. Yeah. Huey, MM, and Frenchie all seem to be having some issues with Butcher. A little bit of trust issues. Yeah. Maeve is losing faith in everything. her role and everything. Yeah. Homelander is losing faith in Stillwell and vice versa. But Annie's faith takes the hardest hit. She yeah. loses faith in her mum. Her, she loses her faith. Yeah, in everything. The company. No, no, no. She loses hip. her faith. Mm. And with something that was such a core part of who she was. And now she's seeing the hypocrisy and the double standards and these messages that she doesn't believe in. And she really, like, she would be what I would classify as a true Christian because she sees that the message at the end of the day is love and acceptance. And she's seeing that being skewed. Yeah. And she's seeing that, okay, she doesn't know about all the depravity of Ezekiel, but Ezekiel is a big promoter of the pray the gay the way. Yeah. Away, considering the antics he's been up to. Yeah. He's he's a hypocrite. That priest that she's sitting next to, who, number one, he states that he's known her since she was their age. Ew. Yeah. Either he's like, he's either a really young priest who's been in it for a while, or there's some, like, he is sucking the souls of dead children. Because <laughs> that priest is not, like, I get that she's 23, and okay, 10, 20 years, but he doesn't look that much older than her. No. He's no. a cool priest. But yeah, Annie, Annie's faith in everything is shaking in this episode, even in Huey. Oh yeah, because you he know? uses in her. Her, in her, in her. In her interpersonal relationships with her mom and with Huey, mm. with Vought, as we've seen over the last couple of episodes, and now all of the religious institutions that she has grown up with and lived her life through up to this point. Yeah. She's, she's lost her faith in all of them. It is. It's the Wizard of Oz. She's seen behind the curtain. She's seen the yeah. man in the hat pulling the levers. And it's not so pretty. And again, Huey, I Huey do feel, asking for the... Yeah, for the ticket because his dad's a bit... like, And he says it's because his dad's a big fan. And he does like... Huey knows he's using her... But at the same time, every time he sees Robin, he's reminded of why he's yeah. why he's supposed to be doing this. And that's what prompts him to do it. But I think it, it's eating at him. And that's why he goes, after she gives her speech, and he goes to talk to her and he tells her the truth. Yeah. Then that, I think, is a very pivotal point for them. And he realizes that what he's been doing and using her isn't right. Yeah. Well, he's never been comfortable with it. And no. we've seen that, yeah, when he sees the ghost of Robin, it spurs him on to further use Annie. You can see that, yeah, at the end when they kind of reconcile and he says about, I lost my girlfriend. And Starlight tries to apologize, in a, you know, oh my God, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And he was like, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. I acted, I acted wrong. Yeah. At the end of the day, Huey's a good person. Starlight's a good person. They are fundamentally good people at heart and they just want to do the right thing. And this is the first time when you see, because Huey's been getting a little bit like dark and muddled and he's been pulled into the darkness a bit yeah. because he's being blinded by this, his his vendetta. Vendetta, mia papa. We're going to get a Disney strike. Stop I, that. No, it's Simpsons. Oh, it is Disney. Which is now on by Disney. Yeah. But yeah, he's been so blinded by this vendetta and revenge that he's lost sight of who he is. And I think that her speech is is kind of a, a reality check for him as well. That this is a, somebody he actually really, really likes. And he, he can see himself maybe not having a relationship with them, but having some sort of friendship. And he can't continue on that development by lying to her. Mm. 
tied into that, uh, you know, kind of Huey finding his way, we get to see another nice little bit with M.M. and Huey. It's only one or two small bits, but like in the previous episode where we've seen M.M. had a concern with Huey over the path he was going down and the price mm-hmm. he was going to have to pay. In this episode, we see him stand up for Huey and be like, you can't, like the kid's not been trained how to blackmail people. Like we need to get this kid trained up. And he's the one who's quick to give him praise <laughs> when he finds out he's the, he, he's the rain man. Yeah, it's a brilliant line. But I liked seeing this development, and that's very much like it is in the comics. Yeah. Butcher is always just trying to not string Huey along, but like hope that Huey gets caught up in the excitement of it all, that he never has time to stop and question Butcher's actions or where they're going and mm is the one who's kind of constantly being like yeah you know here are the things you need to know here's how it works and here's how we do it like and i i really like the interaction that they're building between the two of them yeah they don't have a lot of interaction but what they do have is very small and very very meaningful it has more impact because it's not lost in a whole load of fodder yeah i also just in terms of huey in this episode Number one, having to get into that baptism. Him having to get baptized. Huey, Huey is MVP. Hilarious. In that that he's like six foot one. And yeah. the way they flip him into that baptismal font is amazing. Like it just like he's a big guy and they get him all the way under the water in what looks like one of the most uncomfortable positions I've ever seen. Also the fact that he is sweating because Homelander's got a grip on the back of his neck. Yeah. Homelander like, is just Homelander loving just it. has to sneeze and just, <coughs> everything's squished also he's wearing a Billy Joel shirt yeah so can I finally talk about this what the fact that he's finally wearing a Billy Joel shirt yeah Huey talks about how in the very first episode and a bit later on about his favourite bands and, and what he likes and it's it's James Taylor and Billy Joel He's talking about James Taylor and Billy Joel and these people being his favourite artists. But he's wearing Ramones t-shirts, Nirvana t-shirts, Pearl Jam t-shirts. And they do not reflect the bands that he says he loves. Yeah. But, okay, yeah, so he's got the Billy Joel t-shirt but on this time. he's also a Brooklynite who probably shops in thrift stores. And True. And they're the type of t-shirts you get. But he forgets to take his phone I was gonna, out of his pocket. I was going to say something, like, you know, really deep there, like this is the first episode where he's being a bit true to himself and his intentions and true to Annie. So that's represented in his choice of t-shirt being accurate. Yeah. But that's probably just bullshit. Yeah. It probably just <laughs> went around the thrift store and found them. Um, because he's been given the phone by Mother's Milk with the camera footage from the, the, the soup club yeah. to go in to blackmail him. He leaves the camera in his pants. Now, I understand why, because he, did, he, did, like, he didn't come prepared for that. Everybody else that was at that had like a change of clothes. They knew what was going on. They'd paid their 15 grand for a ticket to yeah. meet Ezekiel and get rebaptized by Homelander. Homelander, number one, Homelander got into that pool in those boots. He's in like the full get up yeah. in those boots and in that bodysuit. That's going to be difficult to get out of. Well, like I that's mean, that's a good, you know, that's going to have to get peeled out of it. Also, is what he if he peeled? just like lasers them with his heat vision for like a second? He does not have the control to do that. That's a fair point. Also, Ezekiel in the tub in completely in white. In white denim, yeah. In white <laughs> denim with, can I point out the white snakeskin cowboy boots that he is wearing? I didn't notice. Did you not notice? Oh my God, they are hideous. 
But yeah, he. Uh, no, I said it last episode. Ezekiel looks like somebody. If you saw them near a playground, you would call the police. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> like he, like he's. Yeah, if he drove a van, you would definitely call the police. <laughs> but he is. He does have this. Like I'm cool guy and he's there and they're all getting rebaptized. and when Huey does go to commit the actual blackmailing the phone is fucked yeah and Huey just pulls it out of his ass oh the, you had sex imp- with me yeah he, he improvs that he improvs the fuck out of that situation <laughs> and you played my ass like a drum yeah I'll, I'll have the audio grab for that don't you worry your dick was so perfect and long and stretchy and you you played my butt like jazz with poise and skill and willingness to improvise. It is. It's magnificent. And he's like, oh, okay, so you're blackmailing me. What do you want? Do you want money? He goes, no, I know about the V. And Ezekiel's whole demeanor changes. And he's like, who are you? You're not just blackmailing me. Yeah. Who you're, are you? You're not just some, you know, rent boy who's trying to get extra money out of me because I fucked you in a soup club. Yeah. You're into some serious shit. Presumably that's happened to them before that they've had people turn around and do it, you know, and they just pay them off or kill them. But this, you can see his whole demeanor changes and he's like, who are you? I I like when he grabs him by the neck and (laughs) slowly walks towards him. Yeah. Instead of just like whipping him over. That, yeah, that's, that, that blackmail scene is just, it's hilarious. Well, it's very, very well done. And it's hilarious when when the nuance of it says. is is very good. And then Huey actually does get relevant information out of him of you know your charity ships polio vaccine, but we know it's not polio vaccine, and where is it going? And that's when they find out that it's being sent to NICUs in hospitals. Yeah. And that really, really upset me because I'm like, no, no, they're preemie babies. Please don't do that. But it also has that added layer of what certain religious communities do, which is. You don't need a doctor. You can just pray, and it has it has that stank on it too. Of you can see Vod going into these people who have premature babies or babies with life threatening illnesses and being like, "Oh, we can save your child." Yeah. Well, we don't know at this point. Yeah, that's. But they know what's that they're giving on. it to babies. Yeah, they don't know why. They just know they are. And they know that it is some sort of steroid for superheroes that they are giving mm. to premature babies. Nothing about that sentence is good. No. The no, fact that Vought are going anywhere near. And when those security guards bust in. Oh, they don't care. On, they just fire straight away. They don't care what they're hitting. Well, presumably those little, the incubators are bulletproof because they're laser proof. That's a fair point. Yeah. That's a fair point. So they do find out that, you know, that, that this is being sent. They get a hospital. M.M. and Butcher head off to check it out. Discover um, your favourite part of both the trailer and the show. Yeah, everybody loves the laser baby. Laser baby. I love the laser baby. I just like the fact that he like, has to jiggle him a little bit. Yeah. So like, come on, <laughs> you know, do it again, please. Because it's a lovely throwback to how many nannies shake their babies. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. Um, so they find out that, yeah, that this is all going on and... They're getting the sample and they can see that it's hooked up to IVs and it's doing this and, you know, this, they, they know that some of these kids are born with superpowers. Mm. Well, that's the story that has been peddled is that it's a God-given power. So that's the story that the mom tells is that when Starlight was born, she blinded the doctors, which is a lovely story. Yeah, oh yeah, when you were born, you blinded everybody that was around. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well done, sweetie. So you've got... And, I've uh, I've completely lost my train of thought. 
Stalin's origin story. Yeah, babies. so they the the story that Vaughn have been peddling is that these got are God given, and now this is the first indication that you get that maybe it's not. Yeah, and whatever this substance is, that's heavily that narrative is heavily heavily relied on at the Believe Expo. Yeah, in Ezekiel's speech and in Homelander's speech, that these are God given powers. We are the chosen ones. Yeah, Homelander's speech is is. Just propaganda one oh one. Oh yeah. It's it's and his lovely Jesus pose at the end of it. Oh yeah. Like in fairness could And let's not mince words. We were attacked. It was an international fight with international citizens. We don't even know where it was flying, presumably to New York. Yeah. But it was coming from Paris and it, yet no, we were attacked. Yeah. America was attacked. How dare they? Yeah. Oh no. He's He's creating the narrative he wants to create. At this point, it's not even the narrative that Vought want him to create. No. You know, and, and Vought take Vought take a hit in this episode. They do. They take a big Their hit. Their biggest... Now, not necessarily everybody knows just how much internal struggle there was there. They All they heard was Homelander saying, oh, they want me to do corporate speak, but I'm not going to. But and then you've got that followed up by, by Annie, Annie. <laughs> going, stop the music and I can't do this. And you can see it in her as she's starting to and do the speech. You can see the light in her eyes dying. As, as well as that, probably not, wouldn't make, isn't going to make as much news as Homelander's speech or Annie's speech. But we've also seen a third member of the Seven go off the rails as the news is reporting on Deep's, Deep's dolphin rescue. Oh, yeah, that the Deep has just like lost his mind and like... Yeah. Adult, yeah. So Vaughn have a have a, polit- or a a pure nightmare on their hands potentially at the minute. And between that, they're trying to get the bill passed through Congress that would allow them into the military. And their actions, like they can, it, they're proving to be uncontrollable. Mm. So it's the first time I think in so far in the season that we've seen Vaughn start to lose control as the boys are getting more and more. Yeah. They're getting more info. They're getting more evidence, and Vaughn. To a degree, things seem to be unraveling for them. Yeah, they're being caught on the back foot by this. Everybody's not playing ball anymore. Yeah, certainly they can't be as cocky as they once were, it seems, with their superheroes. No, and they but they do have a lead on one of them because they're searching for Frenchie. Frenchie, yes. who's now holed up with uh, the female. Yeah. We'll, trying, and he cooks her a beautiful gourmet dinner because he's French. And of course which is does. another nice nod to the comics. He does yeah. that for... Just randomly. And he sets it down. The one thing I had was he, he uses American play settings. And I'm like, yeah. no, fork on the left. In in that first scene where he gives it a dinner, I do like how, you know, he gives it a dinner and he tries to say, you and you, we're the same, you and I, and, and I just want to help you get home. And she launches herself at him. Yeah. And he doesn't even flinch. No. <laughs> you know, he's trying to make it clear, look, I'm, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not here to harm you. I'm here to help. No, you see the story. Their, their whole storyline I adore. Um, oh yeah their chemistry together from the very very start because what they have is very very special And their story throughout the comic book, the progression of their storyline is the antithesis to the actual main storyline of the comic book. It's something, it's hope and it's love and it grows throughout the whole thing. 
you know, it's the one thing that they build as opposed to destroy. But the fact that the two of them, the, the female doesn't speak. No, and, and Frenchie spends, well, she says one thing at the very end, but we'll save yeah. that for another day. But in the comics, yeah, Frenchie spends the whole run trying to save her from the violence inside herself. Yeah. And that's... He sees the good in her and he sees yeah. the person she can be and that bonds them. And it is, it is one of those... Like it's it's a friendship. It's it's not. It's a romance. It's all of this stuff mixed up together. Apparently, a lot of people. This is kind of second season stuff, but a lot of people were upset that they took the Frenchy female relationship in a romantic way. Shatem from the start. But yeah, in the comics, it. I always thought that their love, it was a romantic love. It was just they couldn't express it because of how very violent she was and everything yeah. that was inside her. And it's it may have started as a kind of... Platonic. Platonic, you know, sibling love. But it's certainly by the end of it where... Big spoiler for the comics. Jump ahead a minute if you don't want to hear it. When Frenchie and the female die. Oh, and God, he yeah. says, je t'aime from the first. Yeah. You you don't say I love you from the first to a brother or a sister or a family member before no, you die. No, you say that to the love of your life. Yeah, you say you would just say I love you to a family member before you die. Yeah, you, you know? would be like from the first moment I saw you. Uh, yeah, because that's kind of you would assume that's a given with a family yeah. member. Um, but I think the chemistry between the the chemistry between the two actors is amazing. In this, yeah, in this episode, um, you really start to see yeah, it as well. Yeah, and it is very sweet, and he just cares about her, and he's treating her like the like a wounded animal. Which she is. Their whole little story thing, line that they've got going off to the side is, is of this of this episode in particular mm. is very very sweet. It is. He's just he. You can already see that he understands her by the fact that he can track her down through the Japanese music. He's picked up on the nail polish. In yeah, he understands episode. her thought processes yeah. at least in terms of she was trying to get away, and he, and he can relate. And I almost, in a way, it's almost like if she's, if he can redeem her, maybe then there's hope for him. Yeah, you were saying that in the last episode and it is, it's a little bit kind of clearer in this episode when at the end, when he realizes he's been burned and he calls Butcher and Butcher says, get out of there, leave the girl. Yeah. And he has this, this crisis of conscience where he's like, no, I can't leave you here. Like who who the fuck does Butcher think he, he is telling me what to do like that? He thinks I'm a gun that he can just point me and. Yeah, he goes off on this wonderful little rant. And yeah, he keeps, he sees these aspects in her as well. She she seems to be somebody who was, you know, given superpowers against her will, probably for a nefarious purpose. Yeah. And he's able to break out of his role and the things that he doesn't like about himself by helping her. And then him helping her leads to our first kind of real uh, interaction of Black Noir. Yeah. The fight scene. I, the fight scene with Black Noir, which is the first time you actually see him do, engaging in something other than being in a sex club dancing. Yeah. Which, or staring at people. And which had been subtly foreshadowed in the previous episode. With him with, staring at the back of their heads for yeah. that whole... <laughs> <laughs> Only it turns out it's... While he's after Frenchie, it's him and the female who end up having a fight. Yeah, because she runs away. Frenchie goes looking for her. So he's out in the open. He's aware that he's been burned. She seems to understand to a certain degree what's going on because when Black Noir shows up in the alleyway, you can she's like like no get it like get, get out, the here. Hell out of here you know yeah. I'll take this on, 
and it's a beautiful it's a, it really is a blink if you met and you'll miss it fight scene it's very very quiet it's lovely because it's only ambient sound it's two mute mute characters pummeling each other and all you hear are the knives because black noir is like covered in the knives, knives. and the, the, the exertions and grunts just the small grunts and things like that and it is like the pair of them it's a very quick edit one but it works with it because you get the idea that the pair of them are moving so f- not fast but they're very very skilled in what they do so even though the female does have this super strength and we've seen her just full on mill people out of it, yeah. she also has this finesse and skill mm. because she goes into that beautiful headlock up on his back where she's yeah. trying to avoid the knife. She goes for a wall run yeah. when he stabs her and she just boofs it. What? But it shows more finesse on him. So she's obviously had some training she's at had some to, yeah, point exactly. along the way. And he ends up eviscerating her. And Frenchie comes back and you think she's dead in the alleyway. Cue Bill Withers in yeah. the sunshine. And <laughs> and again, beautiful use of music in this show. Yeah. They, they spared editor. no expense. Yeah, props to the music editor. And it seems that the Amazon books that they were given for this show were put to good use when it came to the music as well. Because the choices throughout the show have been so good and none of them have been they're very jarring either you know sometimes in like uh, the best example for me is yeah Watchmen (laughs) when all along the Watchtower blares in and it just takes you out of the movie straight away yeah none of the music in this has has taken you out of it and it's all been so well placed and so so well thought out well in fairness you can put Bill Withers over anything and I'll be happy this is true (laughs) but music (laughs) ain't no sunshine again lyrically it fits with what's going on yeah you know and Frenchie comes back and he's devastated and he goes to take his coat off and cover her and she wakes up because apparently she's the fucking Terminator and that's when you get more of a hint of what's going on with her as well is that she seems to be unkillable yeah so she's a honey badger she lay down and she had a nap and she got up and she feels better I I was saying that I think that all superheroes have kind of a base level of super strength yeah and then whatever their power is is their power if that's the case with the female like we haven't seen her be super strong like she wasn't able to she take on with, A-Train she can withstand she can, a lot of she um, did a lot better against Blackmore than she did against A-Train yeah obviously she's probably been fed a little bit better and you know rested, rested better yeah. but she's still not super super strong so you know amazing super strength isn't her super power in inverted commas so is it resurrection <coughs> Well, can she just be, not be killed? Yeah, I don't think she can die because you do get, and it is fantastic looking as her wounds all heal. Mm. That is is really, really nicely done. And she wakes up and because the, the song, it's Ain't No Sunshine and it fades out and he's just going, no, 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 no. And he's just heartbroken over this and he goes to cover her up and she wakes up again and she looks as freaked out about the whole thing as he does, in yeah. fairness. Oh, yeah. Like, she's just like, what? I was dead. No. And then the no. song kicks back in again, and then it finishes on the line of "I know she's young, and I should probably." No, I gotta leave this. Yeah, I gotta leave this young thing alone because ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I. I it feel... reinforces the whole Frenchie, whatever Frenchie is dragging her into. Mm. Whatever she's being, anybody who seems to contact come in contact with them and get dragged into this, it's not for their benefit. No, but certainly Frenchie thinks that he's trying to do it for her benefit. Her benefit. Yeah. I think that we've covered pretty much everything. Anything yeah. else? Oh, well, there's at least two little small things I'd like to talk about. What? I like how when 
A Train and Blackmore go down to Crime Analytics to try and uh, find out about Frenchie. And he's like, What's the Crime Analytics guy? He's like, What's this for? He's like, Oh, we're doing something on our own. He's like, You guys don't normally work on your own. And A Train just goes, Trevor, shut up. <laughs> and the deep when he realizes this shit is going to go oh, down when around Annie's, him. Yeah, when during Annie's, Annie's speech. speech and his face, like again, Chase Crawford, I, like Chase Crawford, like most people would only know him as Nate Archibald from Gossip Girl and in that he's not a great character. He's very one note. I always oh, enjoyed right. him in it. Yeah, he's like the stoner rich kid in uh, it and he's got like the floppy hair and he's just pretty. He does as the series goes on. He gets more like meaty storylines and things like that. And he is, I think, he's very, very underrated. And you can see that in this I that like... he's getting to go from being this. Oh, I'm you know I've got big dick energy to oh like he's sitting there eating snacks, going oh I am so fucked, and he's looking yeah, around, he's like... raiding on them, coming bursting in and dragging them off. Yeah, that's what I loved about it. He's binge watching, or sorry, he's binge eating while he's watching a TV report about his failed dolphin rescue and then he switches over to Believe Expo and as he starts to watch Starlight's speech he has this little smile like oh she's going off script she's oh, going to get herself in trouble. in trouble and then she says and somebody shoved a dick in my face and he's like uh oh and then his he, eyes get really big yeah and as you rightly said when he you cut back to him later he's like looking around the room almost as if he expects somebody to come busting in and like arrest him there and then And you, but you can actually see him physically like shrink down into himself as well he's going oh no yeah. gotta make myself small this isn't going to end well for God, me yeah. we see more of that then like from this point on the deep is just hilarious for the rest of the season I, with yeah, one exception yeah that yeah uh, and if you've seen the rest of the season, I had I have a fairly good idea. You know what we're talking about. Yeah. No, I do. The, um, I really enjoy what seeing Chase Crawford because, like I said, I think he was done dirty in Gossip Girl because mm. he's a way better actor than that. And this is a really good chance for him to redeem himself and, and reach out to a whole new audience who aren't like, oh, you're just pretty boy Nate Archibald. Yeah. But I do, I do very much enjoy him, and I, I his his storyline is is very interesting. Yeah, but I think that definitely now we've we've covered it all yeah. um, if you think we've missed anything if you think we talked too much about anything if you thought we were a bit too fucking know-it-all when we were talking about religion let us know you can send any feedback questions to monorantspodcast at gmail.com and you can find us on twitter at rantsmono so we will see you guys next week bye bye